Welcome to the Sweet Run Podcast, your source for all things running and travel in super fun destinations around the world. We're your hosts, Gerald Mitchell and Natalie Mitchell. Welcome to episode 89 of the Sweet Run Podcast. And this week, we are so happy to welcome Michelle Baxter to the show. Michelle is a 258 marathoner, and she achieved that goal in December of 2021 at CIM. And in this conversation, we talk about Michelle's extensive running journey and how it took her eight years to achieve that amazing goal. And the big takeaway in our conversation is never give up on your dreams. If you want to be a sub three hour marathoner, if you want to qualify for Boston, whatever your goal is, just keep going. Michelle is known on social media as the runner's plate on Instagram. She also has a great blog called the runner's plate, which you should definitely go check out. And Michelle is a running coach. So in the second half of our conversation, we talk about where Michelle and her family live in beautiful Anchorage, Alaska. It's our first guest from Alaska, and Michelle is the perfect person to lay it all out for us. And she shares with us the best places to go for a run, how to stay safe on your run in Anchorage from all types of wildlife, where to dine out, where to hang out, places of interest that you have to see when you come to Alaska, and so much more. This was such a fun conversation. We're so happy to share it with you guys. So here we go. Summer, 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 summer. Summer, 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 summer. Oh my gosh, you guys. It is now officially summer. Are you so excited? I am so excited. Okay, so if you are training for a marathon, a half marathon, a 5K, a 10K, or nothing at all. Maybe you're just going to hang out in the mountains or at the beach and run whenever you want. And that is totally awesome as well. But you still need to find out what is going on inside your body. And that's where Inside Tracker comes in. They are a science-backed, trackable action plan that lays it all out for you. All you have to do is get a blood test. It's simple, quick, and easy. And they take care of everything else. They come back and tell you what you're doing right, what you need to work on. And they give you supplement ideas and recipe suggestions. And they lay it all out for you and help you to become a better athlete and a better person. So go to InsideTracker.com slash SweetRun and save 25% off. It is going to be a game changer for your summer training. Definitely go check it out. And we are so excited to partner with our friends at Inside Tracker. One of the biggest challenges with supplements is that there are so many out there and it's next to impossible to understand and figure out the right ones to take. Enter Joint Health Plus from Prevenex. The main active ingredient is clinically proven to protect joint cartilage from breakdown during exercise, which is huge for us as runners. It's also clinically proven to reduce joint pain, joint stiffness, and improve joint flexibility in 7 to 10 days. Did somebody say flexibility? Sign me up. We're excited to partner with Prevenex. They are a new partnership for the Sweet Run podcast. I get so many products that come across my desk, and I'm very careful about vetting every single one and making sure that I only share with you guys the ones that truly work and that I truly love and use myself. And that is the case with Prevenex. We're excited. Use the code SWEETRUN to take 15% off of your first order and go check it out. 
And now, friends, please enjoy our super fun conversation with 258 marathoner and running coach, Michelle Baxter. Michelle Baxter, welcome to the Sweet Run Podcast. We're so happy to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I have been following you not for a long time, but recently, and there's been so many good things that have jumped out. You broke three hours kind of recently at this at CIM. So congrats on that. Thank you. Yeah, that was a, a kind of a long time coming a goal I had been working at for a long time. And so I was very happy to finally make it happen there. And that was a great day, a great course. And it was fun to do it on uh, at CIM. Now, does that become your automatic favorite marathon? <laughs> it is hard to top that, especially when the day goes so well. It's hard to not uh, not have that be a favorite by far. I mean, I definitely have other marathons that I've run that I've enjoyed, but it, that's definitely, it's hard to beat that a day like that. Yeah. you know, The look on your face at from your pictures when you were finishing was like, I finally did it. I mean, I love that, it, you know, you have this eight year journey of getting to sub three. And I think that that is so good for people to hear and realistic. Will you tell us a little bit about the journey to get to sub three? Yeah. So the journey started before kids. Um, it was a goal that my uh, coach, it was before she was officially my coach, but we had met because of our blogs. She lives in Minnesota, not too far from where my family is. And she was like the first person to believe in me and, and tell me, I really think you can break three hours in the marathon. And at the time, I, my uh, personal best was uh, 317. So that's, that's a good chunk of time. That is a good chunk I can't remember exactly how many, what the pace is, but... I want to say at least 30, 30, good 30 seconds per mile faster. So that's, yeah, that's clipping along. Um, so I started working with her. I got pregnant with my oldest son. So took a little break to, for during pregnancy, postpartum, got back into it and then had a really good stint about 18 months postpartum with him uh, when I attempted my first time. But the weather at that race was way too hot and humid to run fast. Um, and then, and then ended up getting a, a fairly serious injury, a hip labral tear, which, um, I still have people reaching out to me and asking me about that injury. Cause it was about a 10 month injury for me. And I've wrote a lot of blog posts on my blog where people I find those and read those. And I still get questions. I just got one today about it. So mm. fairly long injury. And then, um, got back into it again for a couple of years, had my second son. And then after, um, about two years postpartum with him is when I finally broke three hours, but I made, I think that was my fifth try. I, I think, yeah, my fifth attempt at breaking th three hours. And I was just looking through some of people's uh, grandma's marathon was just this last weekend. And a lot of people I follow are still in Minnesota and seeing their results. And I know a couple of people were trying to break three hours and that didn't happen for them. And I'm, I just, I like, I feel for them because I was there four times. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, don't give up. You're so close. So 
Um, yeah, it was, it was quite the journey. So yeah, total of eight years and four failed attempts basically before, um, before it happened. Now, were you in any way feeling defeated at all? Like, oh, this is, maybe this isn't going to happen. Or did you just say, okay, just keep chipping, chipping, chipping away. What was kind of your mindset along the way? I mean, when, yeah, when you don't, when it doesn't happen on that day, usually there was kind of a, a, a reason, a bigger reason as to why it didn't happen. Um, like I said, the weather was a big factor in the first attempt. Um, the, a couple of the attempts I just didn't, I only had a, I had a th- pretty short buildup, but a three month buildup. So I just knew that I just didn't have enough time. Um, and, but still there was one time when I really thought I was really, I thought I had it in the bag and it didn't happen. Um, and so it, yeah, it's, it's hard. It's definitely hard, but at the same time, like deep down in my gut, I knew, I knew I had it in me. So I, I still kept going. Like my coach still believed in me. My husband, who's been a big supporter, he, you know, he's always been like, just keep going, keep trying. You're so close. And so he's been a big supporter um, for me um, in that way too. Yeah. So no failures, just opportunities for improvement and retooling. No failures. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I've definitely learned a lot along the way. I mean, I think CIM was my 11th marathon. I feel like I finally figured out marathoning after 10, marath- 10 marathons. That There was a lot to learn. And so it just takes time. The marathon just, it's a beast. It's, it's a long ways. There's a lot of little things with your nutrition and pacing strategy and even gear and now with shoes, it's like, it takes a lot of time to figure it all out. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree with you. The marathon is a beast. Like you can be, you can train and be prepared and be ready and like, know that I'm in this X amount, X shape time-wise. And like, you just never know what's going to happen on the course. What marathon, the marathon that you said was really hot and the weather wasn't good. What marathon was that? That was grandma's marathon in 2016. I believe the temperature was about 75 degrees and 75% humidity. And they had changed the, the flags on the course to black. So you know how they have the, like the green, I don't, I don't remember the exact colors, but yeah, the black is like, you know, be cautious. Like you're at risk for dehydration and overexertion. So it was, it was a, it was steamy and coming from Alaska. It was, I mean, that was hard too. Like I didn't really have, I came a couple weeks early, but still that's, that's a pretty shock to pretty much a shock to my body. So, and for anyone. Yeah. So that was, there was the weather. And then I uh, also had changed up my supplements and I'm can get really anemic if I don't stay to, on top of my iron. And I, I changed I didn't take as much iron those couple of weeks leading up to the race. And I also think that played a part too. So I just got really labored and breathing when running that race. But yeah, grandma's in 2016. Yeah, you just, I feel like with grandma's, it's such an amazing race, right? And it's a beautiful location, but you just never know. I mean, I feel like with that, with Duluth, it could be totally overcast and beautiful and perfect or it could be really sunny. And like you said, in the seventies, which is not ideal for a marathon. Yeah. They had this last weekend, they had ideal conditions and it was funny because the day before and like the days after it was like 70, 80 degrees 
and then just, they got that one day. It was actually mm-hmm. like perfect this, this year, but there's been a couple other years where it's been hot and humid and that just makes the marathon hard. It's one thing to race, you know, 5k when it's warm, yeah. but the marathon, that's, that's hard. That's not what you want. Yeah. So I know I was reading about and following and kind of getting to know you a little bit. And I know you ran in high school and college. Um, and I wanted to ask you, when did you, like after college, did you start running marathons right away or what did, what did that look like? Um, no, it was not right away. About five, about five years after graduating from college, I did my first marathon. I, when I committed to running the marathon, I did want to properly train. Um, and so I wanted some time to, I don't know, there was, I, I was moving, I moved from Minnesota to um, Alaska and trying to find a job. And so some of those things, I mean, I did some races, I did a couple half marathons, but, um, I just didn't feel like I had the time to devote to marathon training. So a few years later, and then I did my first marathon, um, in 2010, which is when I started my blog. And then, I mean, I've done, so maybe just an average of one a year. So not a ton by any means I've, you know, I've had a couple of breaks with, pregnancies and postpartum periods of time. So, um, I've been pretty, very intentional about picking the, a marathon and racing it, like racing it and training properly for it. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And I will say like, as a mom, I mean, I have, we have, we have three kids and for you to get to run sub three and your youngest was, did you say two years postpartum? Were you two how, what, how many years or months postpartum were you when you ran the sub three? About two years. Yeah. Okay. Two years. Yeah. Yeah. But two years postpartum is like, that's still, you know, you're in the trenches, like you're up in the night with the kids and like, they, they have all these needs as, you know, babies and then toddlers. And like for you to be training and doing all that is, you know, it's heroic. I mean, we have to give moms their due. Like that's a big deal. Yeah, I, which is why I was very diligent about making sure he was sleep trained early on because I made that, I mean, not a true mistake, but um, I kind of bit my, like, I didn't sleep train my oldest. And so that was, that period of time was much harder because it was about 18 months till I slept through the night. Um, and so then with my second, I was like, I am not going to let that happen again. So I made sure to sleep train him. Um, and uh, my husband's been great. I mean, he's, he gets up with, he, I, I try to run, you know, as much before anybody is up, but it's not always, you know, sometimes I'm, they get up while I'm out running. So my husband's been re- very helpful in making, allowing me that time to get my training runs in. Um, and so getting the boys up and getting them ready and breakfast and fed breakfast fed. So um, a lot of kudos to him as well for helping me with that, with that journey, achieving that goal. Yeah, that was all. That was the first thing I thought. I was like, okay, how's a husband, you know, involved and in, in what all is he doing? Because it's, you know, like you said, small kids, it, that's a lot to, to, you know, put in the dedication. So that's, that's great that you have that support. Yeah, yeah. And maybe it's a good thing that he doesn't run. <laughs> we don't have to try to share. I mean, he's, if he's going to exercise, he usually does it after work. So it's not like we have to fight over the morning, uh, the morning time. And so I don't know if both of you run, but I'm always curious to know how parents, if both parents 
run and they prefer the mornings, how that balances out. Um, yes. So I run more yeah. than Gerald does. So I'm the one who's like, usually like training for something or whatever. And you're right. I mean, I think it is good. Like, I think if we, we would make it work, but if we were both trying to train for a marathon, it would make it a lot. I mean, you know, yeah. make it challenging. And then, yeah, I mean, I have to say though, I don't get up like really early to run, like, cause I'd have to get up probably four 30, be running by five before he went to work. And I'm like, yeah, that, I don't necessarily that my, do that. If I was ever going to do that, it would have to be my time to be like the 4am <laughs> get up and out the door and back, you know, cause otherwise it wouldn't, <laughs> it'd be too much. I know. I mean, I've been lucky now and you'll see this as your kids get older. Like our kids are, you know, we have a high school or a middle school or in a, in a, elementary school kids so they're all in school so now I'm able to run like I drop them off at school and then I can go on my run and I, that that definitely helps a lot so yeah yeah that does I uh I, my husband since COVID he's worked from home so that even just that transition has made it a little bit easier I have basically up until 8 30 when he starts working yeah. So I'm not, I'm not that four or five o'clock runner. I want to be <laughs> sometimes, but usually six thirty-seven. So it's not crazy early. Um, the, really the problem is my kids don't go to bed very early. And now we have basically five hours of darkness. Um, our sun sets at 11 or 11, mm. like oh 11 p.m. So it's so hard to get them to go to bed early and at a reasonable time. So I'm usually like, trying to get them into bed and then finishing out my work or cleaning the house and that before I can get to bed. And so it just, I can't get to bed early enough to be a super early runner either. Yeah. And that's okay. Get your sleep. Yeah. Like six thirty or seven is still, you know, that's early, you know, you're doing it. So. Yeah. So like are, are blackout curtains like customary on every home in Alaska because of that period of year? Double blackout curtains. Um, back in the day, people would use aluminum foil. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> um, yeah, and but the you know the problem is like we have vaulted ceilings and windows. Like we can't cover all the windows. I mean, we could, but it would be a lot. So it's just it's hard to get them to wind down because no, everything. Yeah, the house is just really light out and. Yeah. Then the, I mean, the trade-off is then we have five hours of daylight in the winter, which is our shortest day is five hours of, only of daylight. And it's also a very dusky. It's never like very light out. So yeah. Oh man, I want to, I so want to skip ahead and talk about Alaska because I have so many questions, but we'll, we're going to still talk about your running, but I will say it is hard to get our kids to go down for bed. If we lived in Alaska, I feel like they would net, they go to bed at like midnight every night. Cause they'd be like, Oh, I don't need to go to bed. It's like, it's light out. Let's go play. Oh, yeah. People do all the time. That's <laughs> like adults, kids. Yeah. It's bad. It's like manic depressive. Like winter is depressive. Summer is manic. And then you try to fit everything in with the three months of summer that we have. So you're like out hiking and biking and kayaking and what fishing and like all those things you try to cram them in the short period of time yeah it's crazy wow it sounds beautiful though okay beautiful. I wanted to ask you so you finally you finally broke through at CIM you'd been trying for eight years did you feel like there was anything different in your training cycle for CIM that was different like 
give us a snapshot of like how many miles a week you were doing. What was like some key workouts that you felt like were really instrumental in, in getting you fit? So I had, I did a marathon in August, August, 2021. And then I had CIM in December. So, um, I didn't have, I mean, I had a couple months in there where I kind of had to recover and then quickly build back up again. I mean, more or less, a lot of the training was the same. I did add, so in between August and December, I did add in a little bit higher mileage. I did work myself up to, um, work my way up to hundred miles one week and then a week at 90 miles prior to that. I think I topped out maybe the low eighties. Um, so a little bit higher mileage. I did like one or two more 20, 20 plus long runs. I did a 24 miler, um, prior to CIM. Um, I did also incorporate, I started working with a strength coach in those few months and just working with her, I think made a really big difference. So prior to that, I'd always been really good about strength training, but working with her, she, we did a lot of eccentric work and gosh, that if you've ever done it, it's hard. It's like slow on the way down on a squat and then you come up a little bit faster, but slow and like isometric holds. Holy cow. I mean, Mm. I was like dying. It was so hard, but so good. And then I think that really helped. Um, it, yeah, really helped in my preparation for the marathon I also did a carb load, like a true carb load going into CIM. So over the two and a half, three days prior to the race, I tracked my carbohydrates, grams of carbs. I made sure I was eating enough carbohydrates to restock those glycogen stores. Mm-hmm. I think that made a difference. And then that was the first time I wore a carbon plated shoe was at, at CIM. Mm-hmm. And then I also took in more fuel and more calories during that race. So there was a handful of things. And I think just all those things and a really perfect weather day. I mean, a really nice downhill course. So all those things I think contributed to having, you know, finally getting my goal. What was your, the race shoe that you chose? Um, The Saucony Endorphin Pro Plus. Heard good things about that. Yeah. The only thing I don't love about it is the heel cup. Um, the heel cup is almost like a track spike. Like it's almost like collapsible. Mm -hmm. Um, true. Uh, And full disclosure, the company sent me the shoe. And so, um, I mean, I certainly could have, I probably wouldn't have been the shoe I purchased if it was my (laughs) own money, but I had them and I liked them enough to wear them. Um, but yeah, yeah, they're a good shoe. They're, I probably, if I was to buy something else, I'd probably, if I was to yeah, buy something else, I'd probably buy something different. Yeah. Okay. No, I appreciate that. You yeah. know what? I love getting the like true lowdown from runners, like what really works and what does not And it's interesting that you talked about the fueling because I've talked to so many runners that have said that they felt like when they changed the fueling during the race, it really did make a difference. I just had a girlfriend who ran grandma's and she didn't have the race that she wanted, but she did say the positive thing was that she was able to ingest more fuel, more gels on that during that time. And it really felt like it helped her. How many gels did you take during the race? I did five. Okay. Yeah. I think, did you feel like that you trained your gut like during practice, during training leading up to it? 
Yeah. Yeah. I've, I mean, I've always tried to t- practice taking gels in during the, during my training runs. And this time I just, I started earlier. I started around, I think with mile four, four and a half. Um, so I started earlier and then yeah, more gels. And then pretty much anytime I felt like I could stomach a gel, I would take one. Okay. Cause I know that, yeah, the more calories you can get it. And I was kind of trying to front load Cause I know by the end of the race, I'm like, my stomach is like, okay, this is enough of those sugary gels. I need a break. So I tried to front load more. So, um, and then I did scratch, um, hydration, um, some, some electrolytes and calories in that as well. But yeah, five gels. I, I did five different brands or four different brands, five different flavors. Cause I get tired of eating the same thing. So <laughs> I mixed it up. Some had caffeine, some didn't, but yeah, that worked for me. That's okay. Awesome. Yeah. That, that's interesting. Cause you know, I feel like, um, you know, the fueling people can be very particular and they get on their thing and they don't deviate. So that's interesting that that worked out for you to try like not only flavors, but a different brands, which some people like, you know, one's great. Oh, I don't, that one didn't agree with me. So that, that's cool that you were able to, uh, literally stomach all of that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Fortunately, I haven't really had, I don't think there's ever been a gel that hasn't sat well with me. I mean, some of the flavors I haven't cared for, but Mm -hmm. I do think there's some benefit into switching up the brands because each brand has a different type of sugar that they're using. Mm -hmm. And so I think having a variety that can help too, because you're not, it's not the same type of sugar. Um, like Morton, Morton is, um, yeah, like one thing with Morton, it doesn't have electrolytes in it. And so some of the other gels I did had a higher electrolyte count. So it kind of balanced out that way as well. How much study do you put into like electrolytes, fueling, how much of everything is in different brands and types and so you can make your best decisions? Um, I think for me, it's just been learning a lot from other people. So the other people I follow on Instagram, I follow in just like reading people's experiences at their races, like when they do a race recap and they say what did or did not work for them, following, especially my sister's a registered dietitian. So I've learned a lot from her. She has an Instagram account um, and then other registered dietitians who specifically work with runners. Um, And then, I mean, I do have my college degree is in physical education and health education. So I mean, I did like one nutrition class, but it's always been intriguing to me for sure. Nutrition, it's always been something I've, um, I pay attention to and just enjoy learning about. Uh, and then, I mean, I have my coaching certification through the Red Runners Club of, of America. And so it's just like been a variety of my fascination or my questions and trying different things, what works for me and learning from my athletes that I coach and things like that. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, I'm, I'm so excited because you have taken the, you know, the, the sub three hour marathon and now you're like crushing all these shorter races. So I saw that you just ran a 10 K PR 38, 25, which is six eleven pace. That's, that's fast. So it's awesome. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Um, I, I, I always felt like I could do some of the, uh, the shorter races now that I had that marathon training under my belt, I could try to make run faster at some of those other shorter races. And so I spent 
the, a good chunk of the winter months working on my speed. Um, fortunately, we have an indoor track here that I can use. And because it is hard to do, like, it's hard for me to do like true speed on the treadmill, just changing the speed back and forth so quickly, you know, 200 meters, 400 meters. That's, it's hard to do that on the treadmill. So fortunately, yeah. And then this winter was the first winter it was open back open for where you didn't have to wear a mask. So using the, the indoor track, um, and then doing some longer intervals on the treadmill this winter and in preparation for trying to run some fast, shorter distances. Although I will say my, I did run two 5Ks earlier this spring and they went very poorly. Uh. <laughs> so um, it didn't, wasn't paying off at first, but I also knew that I didn't feel like those were a good reflection of my true fitness. So kept at it and then ran a new 10 KPR and we have, um, a five miler here, uh, a charity, a breast cancer charity run that's five miles. And so was able to PR in that as well. That's awesome. Nice. The five K is, it is a hard nut to crack. Like you kind of feel like you either get it uh, during that race or you just like fall apart. Because it's like, okay, if you start out too, 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 too fast, then you're going to die the second and third mile. And then, but you got to like, you can't be you hanging back because it's yeah. only a 5k. So it, it is, I think you have to do, I know for me, I feel like I have to do a lot of them, which I haven't been doing, but I need to do a lot of them in order to like, I don't know, yeah, find, the balance. find my groove. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think the yeah, the 5k is just a different wheelhouse than the marathon and it's, it does take some practice to really figure it out and, um, execute it in the right way. <laughs> yeah. And now that you've uh, broken three hours, yeah. so are you going to leave the marathon alone for a little bit and start going down in, in distance and work on more speed with some goals there? Or do you have a, a next, uh, marathon goal? What's, what's on the horizon for you? Um, well, yeah, this summer, this summer was kind of my chance to run some PRs in the sh shorter distances. Um, I do have a half marathon coming up next month that I'll try to run. We'll see what I can do as far as if I can PR in that my PR is actually probably just a tad bit faster equivalent time than my marathon PR. So it's, it'll be, I'll have to run really fast. <laughs> um, and then after that, um, I mean, I've definitely thought about marathon, new marathon goals. And I mean, I definitely don't, I don't have an, um, like, I don't feel like retired from the marathon. So I'll, I'll keep running them. If anything, I'm really excited. So I'm, we're in the process of moving back to Minnesota and we're going to be moving next, this next month. Um, so I'll be closer to my sister who I'm really close with. And if anything, I'm really excited just to run some races with her and just to like, travel whether it's to CIM again or New York and do some like sister marathons whether we run them together or we, or, or we just start together type of thing so yeah. um and yeah I mean in it like any type a runner I of course I want to get faster and <laughs> just see how <laughs> fast I much faster I can get so yeah I I, I mean I will say that running a sub three hour marathon and having that be my goal for so long, it, it does feel pretty, pretty satisfying. So I feel like if I didn't ever get faster, I think I'd be okay with it. Um, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can tell you're like, 
I like that. Sort of. like, wait, Michelle, you are just getting started. It's funny when Gerald asked that question. I was like, what? She's not done with the marathon. She's just getting started. You opened up that Pandora's box. You're like, I, you know, I got my sub three. And now it's like, what? What next? OTQ? Like, I mean, there's oh, so many yes. things. <laughs> I guess that's the thing. It's like, the like you have, maybe someone tries to break four hours in the marathon. And then the natural next big goal is Boston qualifier and then the sub three barrier. And then after that it's OTQ, but now it's just so fast. It's so fast. I know. I mean, I know how hard I've had to work just to get to where I am. And it's just, even at two forty-five. Yeah. While I like to think I could do it, it's yeah, that's definitely past my abilities. I, I mean, I have some natural talent of, um, but not, not that level. I've had to work really hard to get where I am. I know. And I think, you know, and, and maybe it's even easier to think of it in chunks. Cause it's kind of hard to be like, okay, from two fifty eight to two thirty six, you know, because you have to run a two thirty seven zero zero to qualify for the OTQ. That's a big jump. So it's kind of almost like, you know, I could, you know, maybe two fifty and then break two fifty. And I think a lot of runners have mm-hmm. felt taking it in chunks makes it more manageable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, if I, my, I think my next goal, I mean, of course, like two sub two fifty five or right in that two fifty two fifty five. I mean, I went trying to go break two fifty. That would be a little, I think a little too aggressive unless I had like a major breakthrough in my training, but, um, I just, it's, I mean, it took me longer postpartum the second time around to get to where I was. Yeah. It just, you know, it took me six months more, which I mean, isn't too, too much in the grand scheme of things, but it just took, it took me longer the second time around just being five years older. I think that was a big part of it. And then having two kids to, to take care of. Yeah. I love talking to you, Michelle, because I mean, like, I love your journey of like, and also just being super like transparent, like, Hey, you know what? I had this goal and it really took me this amount of time to achieve it. Cause sometimes I think, in a, and I, in such a good way, but like, also, I think there are a lot of runners on Instagram that are like, I want to have this goal. And the next thing, you know, it's like in a relatively short amount of time, they achieve it but there's so many runners out there that it is going to take them a, a long, long time. And I think yeah. it's good to hear both sides of it. And also to encourage people to like, keep going, like just keep stacking those training cycles. Yeah. And I had little wins along the way, or like I would set a new PR in a different distance. And so, cause I've taught, I mean, I don't know. I feel like some people, I I was talking to someone and they said they don't feel like they've had any success in the last few years of marathoning. And I just felt bad because I, I, I mean, I kind of saw my progression and while it wasn't always a new PR in the marathon, at least I could see some, I, a new 10 K PR, a new half marathon PR. So little things like that, that kept me going. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's so hard because we get in now with social media, that comparison trap, of course, it's so hard. Cause I feel like everybody in your feed is like one person instead of individual, because you like kind of lump everyone together. And it's like, no, if you go each person individually, we've all had our struggles. We've all had times we've doubted ourselves. So 
Yeah, I mean, I try to be as real as possible on social media, especially with my running journey and sharing the ups and downs. And uh, I mean, I've had them along the way, and um, but I also want to be encouraging to other people who are in who just you know where they they missed a, a PR or have an injury. Those are all really hard times, and yeah. we've all been through them, and we can all empathize with with other runners. Yeah. Sure. And I think they can take away from you, like your latest Instagram post where you're showing like the two year, um, progression from, from your, your strength training and like how you transformed your body. And like you were saying, um, that really, you know, had a big impact on your training. And I think that's really cool to, to, to talk about that. Cause it is so much more than just the running. And like, I love seeing your transformation with the strength. Yeah. And it's people, we, you know, the day-to-day is either it's kind of boring or monotonous. Like you put in the miles and just pounded the pavement. And then, but I think it's really helpful whether you're looking back, yeah, six months, a year, two years to, for anybody, whether it's physical changes or just, you just feel more confident running. Um, or you've now you can, instead of five, five miles or three miles used to be a long run or a challenge for you. And now five miles is your new, like feels doable. So just those little wins along the way. And that's, I mean, I've said it before. I'll say it again, as far as that process, you have to, you have to enjoy the process and uh, find those little wins along the way to keep going and keep, keep yourself motivated. Yeah. yeah that's all such good advice. Yeah. What types of, cause you were talking like coaching philosophy, you know, as we, whether I'm coaching yourself or, or whomever, um, what types of clients do you typically uh, gravitate toward or that gravitate towards you uh, for coaching? I feel like I have a really wide range. I have people, five hour marathoners. I have three and a half marathon hour marathoners. I have people who are just simply want me as an accountability to get three to four runs in a week. And they're not even, they're not racing is not, that's not a motivating factor for them. So I really honestly have a wide range of people. I mean, mostly women. Um, and then, but yeah, some people marathon training, some half marathon. Um, and I, I just always tell them, I want to be your biggest cheerleader. I want to meet you where you're at and then accommodate those, your running workouts, your lifestyle, how much time you have, your family, and then your work life running balance. Um, and I just, I try to keep my team small because I really want to make a lot of connections and make sure I'm checking in with them on a regular basis and helping them in any capacity that I can. Cool. All right, everybody, we're going to put Michelle's info in the show notes so you can contact her and she can coach you. I think you would be, you are a fantastic story of just, you know, perseverance. Process, and yeah. I think, you know, you, you know, I can just see you working so well with women to encourage them to their goals. So you're going to probably get a lot of calls from people saying, coach me, coach me. <laughs> well, I will say I have about a one to two month wait list right now. So, oh, okay. oh wow. That's awesome. I will, I will happily put you on my wait list. Um, and I'm trying to onboard as many people as I can without, with still trying to maintain my, uh, work life, family, yeah. <laughs> my running goals as well. 
Totally. That's so important. Well, speaking of family, I read about your amazing news. You guys live in Alaska, but you're moving to Minnesota, which is where you're from. And one of the things I was reading it, and then it just kind of like popped out that you're moving to be farmers. (laughs) This is incredible. (laughs) I need to hear all the details about this. Um, (laughs) So you you said you're in LA. Yes. Yeah. Did you grow up there as well? <laughs> so, well, I grew up in Ohio. Okay. So I grew up with a cornfield in the front and a cornfield in the back. We were, but not oh. farmers. But then okay. I moved here. I've been here for a long time. I moved here in high, like middle high school. Um, but I will say before you say where you're from, like my kids, that is their dream. Like our three, daughter, three farm hands, she, ready to go. She was like, she came in the other day. She's like, I, and she was like crying about it because she's been watching the Waltons. <laughs> lately like she went you know she that's been her thing like when she gets a little bit of screen time she's been watching the waltons and so she's like i just want to live on a farm and you know i want to like li- raise pigs and cows and so and run and play and i don't want yeah. everybody to see when i want to play with someone i don't want to have to and she holds up her hand like your parents are holding up a phone like just schedule a play date i just want to run in the field and just go and i was like oh Okay. Yeah. We'll find a farm. So for I you. need to follow everything that you're doing or maybe not because then she'll be like, let's do that too. <laughs> I think that's the one thing I've been fascinated by is just how much uh, farming seems to be like a, a dream job or like people are fascinated by it and also that they want to do it. And grow- so growing up, yes, I grew up on a farm. We had pigs, corn and soybeans. And it was just, we had, it was a small family farm. It was just my parents, you know, it was you know, just the two of them running the 500 acres of corn and soybeans. And um, we had a, it's, it's a pharaoh to finish hog operation. So the, the, we had babies, the moms gave birth to the babies on the farm and then they stayed about six months until they had to go to market. So the life of a pig is just, it's very short, <laughs> but they go from just a few pounds to a hundred, uh, 240 pounds in about six months. So they gain like two, three pounds a day, just eating. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, and I feel like so, this is like Charlotte's web. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that yeah, means that they go yeah. to be slaughtered for, for bacon. Yeah, yeah, oh, you can't get no. attached, unfortunately. <laughs> That's how it happens, folks. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to cry. Uh, <laughs> okay, so, go on, go on. This is so interesting. Yeah, and so um, right now my brother does the pigs, and my husband and I are just going to do, um, do corn and soybeans. So no, we're not going to do any livestock. Um, he might have some chickens, but for the eggs or for the for meat chickens. But um, otherwise, yeah, we'll do corn and soybeans. Uh, it'll be about 600 acres that we're farming. And my parents are just ready to retire. And so they, we actually, we entertained the idea a few years ago and decided not to do it. And then it came up again. And we decided to go for it. My husband, he's he's works in he works for the state of Alaska. He's in management and just done being pushing papers, being a white collar worker. So he has said he was up for it. And I mean, he grew up here in Anchorage. So I mean, I would say like a city boy, but Alaska is also not like true. I mean, there's still some people would say it's like 
um, yeah, not really like super city, mm-hmm. like the, some of the other big cities, but, um, yeah, so we're going to do that. It'll be a couple of year transition as, um, as we learn how to do everything. I mean, of course I have the knowledge from when I was a kid, but at the same time, it wasn't, I wasn't running the farm. I was just helping out and helped out a lot. So still have a lot, a lot to learn myself, but yeah, we're so excited to have the boys raise the boys in the country and have acreage. My husband loves gardening. So to be for him to have lots of space to garden and a small town to raise the boys in and just little things like that. We're, we're very excited. That sounds like, honestly, that sounds like so much fun. I mean, I know it's, I know farmers are, that's a, it's a hard, you know, it's hard work, but anything worth having is hard. And that's just like all that space to play and blue skies and fresh air and like them seeing you guys like work this farm and the work ethic and everything that's going to go into it and all the places you get to run. It sounds like a runner's paradise. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the country roads can be harsh in the fact, you know, they get really windy in the, and really cold in the winter and then it can be brutal in the summer because there's no shade. Um, so I often will go into town and we, there's two lakes in the town that we'll be living. So those are really pretty to run around the lakes um, and not a lot of hills. So I'm gonna, actually going to kind of miss the rolling terrain here of Anchorage. Um, especially just for the strength aspect to have hills to train on. So pretty flat, um, but of course it makes it ideal for farming and then the, the um, yeah, makes the land there is ideal for farming, which is obviously why there are farmers there. But um, yeah, so still plan to do, keep up my running, still do lots of running and we'll just, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Michelle is so much fun to talk to and she gives us so many good takeaways that if you really do love what you're doing and you love the process, you'll keep chipping away until you achieve the goals that you want. And that's exactly what Michelle has done. And it's really, really cool to hear her story. So we want to take a quick moment to shout out our two sponsors, Inside Tracker and Prevenex. So for Inside Tracker, use the code SWEETRUN to take 25% off of everything that they have to offer. Go to insidetracker.com slash sweetrun. For Prevenex, use Sweet Run to take 15% off of your first order. Get started today on improving your joint health and flexibility. And now let's get back to our conversation with Michelle and hear all about Anchorage, Alaska. Tell us about running in Alaska. I mean, in Anchorage, because, you know, as a city guy, I grew up in Northern California, but still in, in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I'm thinking to myself, uh, where am I going to run besides Main Street and a few blocks around? I don't want to go too far. Where to deal with the bears? I don't know. You, where's the best place to run in Anchorage, Alaska? <laughs> um, I would say the most popular destination for tourists is the Coastal Trail. It's the, called the Tony Knowles, Tony Knowles Coastal Trail, and you can access it from downtown. A lot of people stay downtown if they come to visit. There's a lot of hotels downtown or from Westchester Lagoon, and you can go out, oh, I don't even remember the distance, several miles out along the coast. And then um, there are a lot of paved trails in Anchorage, which is which is really nice. Um, we have several, yeah, the Chester Creek Trail, the Coastal Trail, Campbell Creek Trail, 
Um, and they all, yeah, throughout various parts of town. So those are really nice. I mean, you do have to be aware bears in certain areas, moose, um, homeless population, <laughs> which is sometimes just as scary and maybe worse. Uh, uh, that um, I'm used to in Los Angeles. No, that, that uh, unfortunately, say, but that I'm used to. Yeah, I was going to say that yeah. I don't see how the homeless population could possibly be worse than what it is right now in L.A., but I digress. That's but, another subject. But moose, on the other hand, like a seven foot with the antler. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I've seen stuff where yeah. like, I don't know which one's worse, a moose or a bear. Yeah. Uh, I was I'm for sure a bear. I'd be more terrified of a bear. Um, the moose are tend to be pretty docile just because they are used to people and they tend to not be too, you know, unless you come across a mom with, um, with calves, mm-hmm. that's, then you got it. Then you got to back away for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then during the rut season, when the ma- males are trying to mate that, that can be a little dicey too, but, uh, for the most part the moose aren't too, too, too scary. Um, and then you, I mean, usually you can see them They're and they can't hide in the woods and I've definitely come up on them very close, but, uh, usually they're pretty big and they pretty easy to spot. So, um, the bears, uh, bears are just, there's certain areas of town they tend to be in during the summer, you know, not during the winter. They don't, they go and hibernate during the winter. So not an issue in the winter, not at least not in Anchorage. There are like Kodiak will have bears year round. Um, but, um, in Anchorage, I just, and during the summer, I just know where they tend to be. And I just, I don't run there. So, or people carry bear spray. Yes. Bear spray. I have yeah. so much to unpack with this because the first <laughs> thing I thought about, I was like, when we talked to Michelle, I want to talk about the bears. Okay. So living literally you are in bear country. I can't think of another place in the United States that probably, I mean, yes, you've got the, you know, Wyoming and Montana, but when I think of bears, I think of Alaska. So how do you keep yourself safe on the run? And do you think about it every time you go out? Not usually if I'm like, like I said, if there's the areas that I go tend to be I like never hear about bears in those areas. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, I did go closer to, it's called Kincaid Park. And I did go closer to that area today, this morning. So I was just like constantly looking, looking, scanning around for bears. Um, yeah. Otherwise, if you do go, especially in the mountains, if you do go on the mountains, you always, I mean, ideally you're going with somebody, at least one other person, you're making a lot of noise. Yeah. So whether it's talking, singing, whatever, um, you bring your dog, that's, that can really help. Okay. Um, and then bear spray and bear spray, unlike, um, like mos- mosquito spray, you don't spray it on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you spray it at the bear. Um, and then it, yeah, you don't want to get it near you. Cause it'll, it's just like very toxic to your eyes and, um, but yeah, that bear, bring a bear spray and they even make a, there's a belt to hold the bear spray. So it's comfortable to run with called the scat belt. Um, but yeah, bear spray, dogs, large groups of people, and then just being lo- and making lots of noise generally keeps them away, but there's, oh, there's always a couple incidents every summer where somebody gets mauled by a bear and people have have died from being multi-bearer. Oh my gosh. One of the things that that comes to my mind that I think about a lot is we've been in bear country and I've, you know, 
had cases where I've run and had to have bear spray. But one of the things that I was thinking about is like, okay, you have that, it's called a scat, right? Mm-hmm. So you have that on, you have the bear spray. So you're running along and, and say, for instance, you do see a bear, you run into a bear and it becomes a situation where you've got to use the bear spray. I'm always thinking that if that were to happen to me, I would be so scared that I wouldn't know how to disarm. Is that the right term that I want to say? The bear spray. So do you practice like using it? Cause I think there's a lot to like, get it. So it doesn't accidentally go off. I mean, some people have practiced. Yeah, some people will practice, um, but yeah, pull it out and there's a clip you undo before you can spray it. So, I mean, you want to keep the clip always attached because then it doesn't, it's like the locked uh, locked position. You can't spray it with the clip on, but you do have to take that clip off before you spray it. Um, the other thing is if you don't, like if you didn't have bear spray or you were like just caught up in the moment, is just to make yourself big and like yell at the bear, shout at the bear, make yourself big. And sometimes that'll scare them away, especially if it's like a black bear versus a brown bear. But yeah, I mean. Okay, that's the reality of living in Alaska. So tell me where that track was in town. (laughs) The indoor track. (laughs) Yeah, the indoor track. (laughs) No, we we, we would totally venture out. We would just, you know, we know where to go and not to go and. Because I want to yeah. see, because you said on a shoreline, right, is where one of the trails are. Now, mm-hmm. do you ever see like killer whales, like pods going by? I don't know if that's a thing or. Um, so like not here in Anchorage. Okay. Um, the waters are, they're, not, they're, they're, of course, ocean waters, but it's like inlets. So it's like, okay. it's not the um, waters like. I don't know. It's silty. It's not the right consistency that they, and they wouldn't come up here for food. We do get beluga whales that come into the inlet. Um, The orcas are going to be in, um, in Seward. You, you can see orcas out of Seward, but not here in Anchorage. The water isn't right for them. Um, But yeah, beluga whales, um, of course, eagles. There's some, um, what, um, what else do we get? Sandhill cranes that come in like nest here in the summer. Um, but not a lot of like, not too much of that in the waters here, but go to Seward and that's where like the, the wildlife cruises will go. And then you'll see yeah. whales, um, either Seward or Homer. Um, and then you'll see a lot more wildlife there. Got it. Okay. Okay. So now we've <clears throat> survived the run. We are alive. We didn't get mauled by a bear. Now we're extremely more hungry than usual, more than any other guest that we've had because our adrenaline is so high. So where are we going to go refuel now? <laughs> um, I would say that some of the, probably the more popular uh, restaurants are downtown, 49th State Brewing. Um, that's a brew house and a popular place. There is a roof, uh, a patio on top. So on a gorgeous day, you can see that a very, very pretty view of the mountains and the water, ocean waters. Um, there is, let's see, um, if you're more um, vegan, vegetarian, more of that hippie vibe, Snow City Cafe, very popular breakfast place downtown. Um, one of our favorite places for dinner is called Ginger. It's more the Asian fusion 
mm. Pacific Rim um, foods, types of foods that they have there. And then let's see if you want a good, like acai bowl, which you wouldn't think acai bowls, but acai bowls and juices, pure and pressed juice. They're real fresh. Everything's made right there with smoothies, fresh pressed, cold pressed juices. And I mean, lots of um, little breweries, mm-hmm. lots of local things, lots of little breweries that way. Um, some food wagon, food trucks, and then some nicer, if you want the shrimp, the crab, um, some of the salmon, like Simon and Seaford's um, is a, a popular place. Um, yeah. I've got one for you. Now, do, is like bear steak, like do people, do people consume bear meat? <laughs> yeah. Some, yeah. I feel like that's a thing. And I don't know if that's a so, thing in Alaska or yeah. So you, you can hunt your own wild game. Okay. You can't, it can't be sold. It can't be sold in the grocery store or at restaurants, ah. but you can hunt it yourself and, and then prepare it yourself. So bear, moose, caribou, those are sheep. Those are like the big ones that people go for. And then of course the salmon um, and then some other types of fish. But yeah, you can certainly go and hunt it yourself, but you would be able to find those wild game in a restaurant or the grocery store. No problem. No bear for me. I'm not hunting bear. (laughs) Nope. I I thought maybe I could go in and, you know, place an order for a nice steak dinner, but no. I have no interest in eating bear. Have you ever eaten bear, Michelle? I think I did one time. It was like ground up and then served in a chili. So very, very seasoned. Um, my husband has gone, he'll go caribou hunting, which that's, that's good. I mean, especially, yeah, if you do like the ground stuff, it tastes pretty much like hamburger or just use it in place of hamburger. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he did get a moose one year. I don't think the moose was, was not, <laughs> I think, we think that the meat, either, either something the moose ate, cause the, it'll depend upon like the bear, if the bear is eating on fish versus berries it'll taste different so and then the meat will taste different so this care um this moose either did not eat something good or the it was really warm that year and i don't know if the meat like spoiled a little bit which Mm. is definitely because you'll go out for he'll go out for 10 days at a time and if they get an, an animal early on in the trip they have to keep it cold or try to keep it from spoiling yeah which is and then yeah because it's they they float, like they float down a river and then they have to, and then they just stay in that spot for 10 days and then they float back out too. So it's not like they're just hopping out of their vehicle and then go hunt. And yeah, yeah, it's it's quite the, it's a very much involved process. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine there can't be any slip ups. Otherwise you can have a situation where people are getting ill from bad game. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Don't leave Anchorage without doing X. What would you fill in the blank with? Um, I mean, in the winter time, seeing nor- the Northern Lights. Ooh, of course, yes, yeah, yes. that sounds amazing. Yeah, I finally saw them this last winter. The problem is, I I go to bed too early, and I live in the city, 
And so the, all the, the light pollution, yeah. they just, you can't see them here in town. So you really have to drive out of town at least an hour, a couple hours. And, and you have to go, it's pretty late in that. I mean, midnight, one o'clock um, to see them really well. Now, depending upon if you live in a smaller town, then you you could see it much better. But yeah, I would say for sure, like people come up here in the wintertime, seeing the Northern Lights, um, riding a, a dog sled for the Iditarod. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's popular. Um, and then in the summertime, I did, when people ask me what they want to do, I really say, okay, what are you interested in hiking? Are you fishing? Um, I mean, everything is outdoor stuff in the, in the summertime. So, um, I really, for me, that's like, it's like personal preference, which you prefer to do, but I mean, the hiking is probably going to be up there as far as our hiking is like usually straight up a mountain. (laughs) Whereas like in the Pacific Northwest, you have the switchbacks Mm -hmm. through a forest it's here is like straight up a mountain and it's very open. So it is a pretty view, but it's, it's not always like, yeah, like I said, it's straight up a mountain. So it's hard. It's not yeah, always okay. super easy. Um, but yeah, some of the hiking, I mean, you can't beat that. And then fishing, if you're going to fish, I would usually have to take a charter. Just, it's hard to find the right places and the gear. So taking those charters out of Seward or Homer for the fish. Um, And really, I think just like being here and just seeing everything and experiencing everything, I think that's uh, just a big, uh, like kind of a big attraction for a lot of people and just very different. So yeah. the other thing is that Anchorage is, well, some people will say Anchorage is 10 minutes from Alaska because it is just like any other big city here. <laughs> so, you, I mean, if you want like true Alaskan, you got to get out of Anchorage. Um, and then Southeast Alaska where Juneau is, and that's where like, you'll see the glaciers more. I mean, you can see glaciers here from Anchorage or like it, driving a little bit, but like Southeast is where you see the calving glaciers and the things only accessible by boat or plane you can't drive like you can't drive to juno so that's where the cruises like if you are allowed to see a lot of the pictures from people taking cruises it's probably more so southeast so it is very different it's a very different kind of a landscape and um kind of a different experience too that sounds beautiful honestly like amazing i have to step back a little bit on the food (laughs) I can never get stopped talking about food, but we forgot to ask you, where should we go and have some dessert after dinner in Anchorage? There's a macaroon place. And I think it's AK cake studio. What about places to stay when you, we have to have a, um, oh, yeah. a plate. Well, we would crash at your place, but you're not even going to be living there probably by the time we visit. <laughs> not that we would do that. I always like to joke about that, but anyway, um, where should we stay? Most people stay downtown with just having access to a lot of the restaurants, the trail system, um, more of the shopping. There's Fourth Avenue, which has a lot of the tourist shops and um, those things. So a lot of people do stay downtown. And then there are um, areas, I mean, I would definitely not like Spinard area. I would not stay in that area particularly. Okay. <laughs> um, and then, I mean, I know a lot of people get Airbnbs. Mm-hmm. So 
Um, yeah, generally downtown, midtown is where a lot of the hotels are. Okay. You, you're going to need a car. I mean, wherever you stay. So in, in some, in some regards, it's not too imperative where you stay because you're going to need a car to go places. It's not a, um, pedestrian friendly, walk friendly city okay. with, um, and the bus, there's a bus system, but it's not, you know, you wait, you wait a lot of time and okay. it's not super efficient, not like Portland or Seattle okay. or the, some of the other big cities. So yeah, okay. now that's good to know. Yeah. What about races? Yeah, you mentioned one earlier. Yeah. So any, what are your favorite races? Um, as far as the tourists coming up for, like, if they're checking off their 50 States marathon, the mayor's marathon, which just happened this last weekend, that's that one seems to attract most out-of-state people it's mid-july mid-june and there is another marathon in mid-august but i think people are kind of done with their summer travels by that time and thinking about going back to school so the one in june mayor's marathon um is seems to be the biggest like the one that most out-of-staters do so that's a that's a good one. There's um, a marathon, half marathon. They did a five miler this last year, so a variety of distances. And then, as far as if you want, let's see, if you want, there's no races at midnight or like um, with our. Even though we have a lot of daylight, the the latest race that happens is 10 p.m. in Fairbanks, which is about five or seven hours north of here mm. um they have a, a race it just happened this last weekend as well but whatever's closest to solstice so solstice is going to be i think it, tomorrow, tomorrow. Oh, okay. yeah 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 so tomorrow's the longest day of the year and fairbanks has a race that happens at 10 p.m um but no other races like at midnight or anything <laughs> um and then one of um i mean the the other marathon in august that's another it's a great marathon it's well run jeff galloway and um bart yasso usually come up for that (laughs) that's kind of fun and there's a half marathon it used to be a all women half marathon which was one of my favorite races in mid-july it is now co-ed um, but it's a skinny Raven half, which skinny Raven is our local running store. I work there. I've worked there for the last eight years. Um, I do coaching and selling shoes for them. So the skinny Raven actually puts on a lot of races throughout the year. And it's nice that, and then we do have even some races in the winter time. There's the frostbite foot race during the Iditarod, oh, uh, for Ronde events. So you can run a race in the winter too, if you want. Love that. Um, and then the other thing, the other races, a lot of mountain and trail races yeah. that also happen during the, uh, during the summer, the most infamous one is the Mount Marathon, which is not a marathon distance. It isn't it. That's the name of the mountain. And it's, basically a 5k but it's straight up and straight down and you would spend about 45 minutes going up and the top runners the fastest runners about 45 minutes going up and 15 minutes coming down it's so yeah they're just and there's they usually if there's a lot of snow they'll just slide on their butt down that snowpack and then their shale it's just like lots of loose rock and they just like 
glide across that basically, but it's, it's brutal. Like it is not for the faint at heart. A lot of people, a lot of people get injured. (laughs) So Mount Marathon's very famous race. Um, and then yeah, there's another like lost Lake is about a 16 mile run point to point. Very, very pretty. Just North of Seward area. Very pretty race trail race. Not quite as, I mean, still some, some elevation, but very pretty. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, those are amazing options. Do you guys sell, does um, Alaska or, or Anchorage have a big summer solstice celebration with that being the longest day of the year? I think they used to. Yeah. And now I'm like, you know, I don't know if they have, they probably do. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I'm not even, <laughs> don't even know what's going on, but I don't, I actually don't know if there is one, if there was one this year. Yeah. Um, it, I would think it would have happened last year. There could have been some activities downtown, but nothing, nothing too major if there was anything, Okay. But nothing awesome. I was aware of. Yeah. Well, you have painted this gorgeous picture of this wilderness and city. You can eat, drink, see bear, go fishing, running, hiking. It sounds amazing. I am ready to come and visit for sure. So thank you for all that. Yeah. As you probably know, most people want to come in the summer, not the winter. (laughs) Unless you want to see the Northern Lights. I want to see the Northern Lights. I like doing like the opposite thing that everybody else wants to do. So I want to come in the winter and see the Northern Lights. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And we'll have to figure, but get the spiked shoes and all the rest to do that. But um, And make sure we're dressed uh, way warm. Yeah, appropriately. Yeah. Michelle, we like to ask our guests the last question, which is if you could run anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? Oh, that's way too hard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just think of all the European countries, like the pictures I've seen. Oh, I, yeah, probably somewhere in Europe. I don't even know. There's too, too many good places to pick from. So <laughs> okay. anywhere warm, anywhere hot. <laughs> South of France. There we go. Sure. Spain. Spain. <laughs> Just keep going toward the equator. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Now, in your new home in Minnesota, are you going to be near what major city? About an hour south of the Twin Cities. Okay. 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 Yeah. Well, best of luck with moving and yeah. the, getting your boys all settled and the whole farming adventure. We can't wait to follow along. So we wish you guys all the luck with that. Yeah, thanks. Yes, it's been fun. And I'm I'm looking forward to it. And I think it's gonna be really good for our family. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. And thank you so much for doing this. But I know. Before we let you go, we always want to know where can everybody follow along and follow all the journey of running, coaching, and farming. <laughs> <laughs> uh so I have my blog, therunnersplate.com. And then I'm also the same handle on Instagram, the runner's plate. So those are primary, my two primary um, social media outlets that I um, post regularly and keep people, keep people sharing my running journey there. Cool. That's awesome. Well, you have an amazing running journey. Best of luck to you. You are so inspiring. Everyone go follow Michelle. We'll put it all in the show notes. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you soon. 
Yeah, thanks. Bye. Michelle Baxter, thank you so much for joining us on the show. We've always been curious about running in the great north. We'll definitely try to catch the northern lights, make the most of the great outdoors with 18 hours of sun, and respect the space that the bears allow us to have as runners. Congratulations again on all you've accomplished and what's in store for you in the future. And your sharp analysis on fuel ingredients and the right mix for you is always a reminder that the marathon is a thinking person's game. Everyone, follow Michelle at therunnersplate.com and the same on Instagram. Come follow us at Sweet Run, Nat Runs Far, and on SweetRun.com. A big thanks again to our sponsor, Inside Tracker. Use the code SWEETRUN to take 25% off of everything they have to offer. Use it for yourself or an awesome gift. A big thanks to our friends at Inside Tracker. Are you guys enjoying the Sweet Run podcast? We would love it if you would take a moment to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any platform that you listen to our show on. It would help us to get our content out to new listeners and help to grow our show. Go ahead and push the button. Leave us a rating and review. We would so appreciate it, and we appreciate you guys. Join us next week for another great conversation with an awesome runner living in a great location. We'll see you then. We will see you then.